You're listening to the Life in Christ Church Podcast, your place for life-changing messages that will build your faith and propel your life. If you enjoyed today's message, why don't you be a blessing and share it with a friend? Well, I had, I had different things on my heart today. I didn't even quite know how to title it, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to see where he takes us. I guess if you wanted to sum up what, what, I, was, what I feel like the Holy Spirit is wanting to, to minister today, it would be along the lines of our identity in Christ. It would be along the lines of putting on our new man. Um, but there, there's, there's so much that was in that, and so I just, I'm trusting God that he'll help direct to what exactly he's wanting to hit this morning. Um, one of the things that I just, you know, as I was thinking about you all and praying for you all today, I was also thinking about many of you that, you know, man, it's so exciting in a New Testament church where God is constantly adding to us that we'll have people all the time at all stages, right? And, and we constantly have to go back and hit the fundamentals, the basics, because, you know, every week or often God is bringing us new people that are responding to the call for salvation, and we're expecting for that to happen even more, and, and so we, we have to become good. God is also preparing us, right, for the great harvest of souls that as the floodgates open, as people begin their hearts, which we believe is happening, that the things are stirring in our nation even now for people to turn their hearts to God, to see him as, uh, as the answer and, and as what they need, what is needed, what is needed for the things that we're facing today. We, we must have him. Uh, and so praise God, you know, as we see, when we see people come up and receive him, Many, I mean, many may feel pulled, you know, they might not even fully understand why, but they feel that drawing. Man, when the Holy Spirit is moving in, in a salvation altar call, he's drawing people. It's like a magnet. There's a drawing. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a really, when there's that strong evangelistic flow, it's like you, you might know you're saved, but you, like, you just want to go up again almost, you know, because it's just, it's such a draw. It's such a draw. That's the Holy Spirit. I mean, he said in, in, in 2 Corinthians, I think it is where he talks about uh, beseeching people to come. That's, you know, he tells us to do that, uh, to be reconciled to God, imploring people, be reconciled to God. So that's what he's constantly doing. That's his flow. He's constantly saying, come, come, be reconciled, come, receive what I have done, come, come to God, turn to God. He's, it's, it's like a magnet, right? And so everybody might not fully even understand what they're being drawn into. But, of course, we know that what happens in that moment when they activate their faith, you know, follow his, what he has instructed us to do, which is what? Call on the name of Jesus. Believe in our hearts that, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Something supernatural happens instantaneously instantaneously there's change when somebody responds to that. There is instantaneously change. It's not visible on the outside, but it is something so big that happens on the inside. We don't even know what 
the fullness of what's happened when it happens. Our pastor says it this way. He says it's something so radical happens to you that you actually have to be reintroduced to yourself because what your frame of reference is from who you used to be is so completely irrelevant now. You're a brand new person. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things, all, that's why you have to be reintroduced to yourself. All things have become new. However, if you don't, there's a process then in the aftermath of that, of discovering that. And you really won't get to experience much of that until you discover it. You might experience something in that moment, but where it really matters, the change that you need in your life, the, 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 the freedom that's needed or the things that need to be turned around, they really don't start to happen until this discovery process begins. The more that we discover of what happened, of, of even what, what Jesus did, what, you know, we were responding to the fact that he died for us. That, that, but what, what did that all mean? There's so much to that. And really, that's the best place to start. If you want, if you, as a new believer, it, it's amazing how many actually, even sometimes older believers, have never taken the time to really focus on that. And so we're like, okay, well, I know I should read my Bible, and you just kind of start wherever. No, I would highly suggest, as a new believer or as somebody who maybe your foundation is rocky, take time to focus first on understanding and coming to know more, gain a greater in-depth understanding of what happened. What did Jesus do for you? What happened when he died? Why does that apply to you? What took place when he rose from the dead? What does that have to do with you? What was taking place as pertains to you in all of that? That's the biggest thing that's going to affect your life and help you going forward. And really for anybody who has maybe been, been walking with God for many years, when you find yourself up against a wall, when you find yourself again facing a situation, you go back to that. Some people call it going back to the cross. You go back to what Jesus did. What does that, how, because sometimes that, that there's a gap then between, okay, I know he did this, but there's this here in my life. You, you have to go back to that until that gap is closed. Until suddenly what he did and you're here now, what you're facing here and now, it, there, it, it becomes, it comes together like this. Because everything that he did, whatever he did applies to every situation in our life, everything that has ever ailed us, everything that has ever been a problem in our lives, anything that you're, that you're dealing with, the solution and the answer can be found in what he did when he died and when he rose again. Your healing, your provision, your family, Whatever it is, you go back to the cross to find the answer and the solution. And, and the deeper you dig, if uh, there's a book that Pastor Mark wrote called Identification, and he talks about how there was this, this mine, uh, this drilling that was taking place 
uh, out in this lake, and there was, a, there was a mine that was underneath it. And as they were drilling, what started to happen is everything started to get sucked in. Not just the water, but it actually began to suck in even the land all around it. It just kind of imploded and just got sucked in. And he said, that's what happens when you drill in to what Jesus has done for us. You just keep drilling until it just starts to suck in everything in your life. It just starts to envelop and swallow up everything in your life that is out of line with his will for your life and his purpose for us. And so we, we must know, we must dig into that. If you're a new believer, that's the first place to start. We've got great books out there that, that, that focus on, I mean, it can, there's so many different angles that you can look at it. You can look at it through the lens of understanding what, why did he shed his blood? Why are we always talking about the blood? Well, that has to do with that. That has to do with redemption. That has to do with what he accomplished for you. You can study that. You can study uh, or what, what does it, you know, anything that has to do with his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you're struggling, if you're cold, if you're whatever it is, go back to that place. Go back to the cross. Go back to what happened there. Go back to what that has to do with you and where where were you in all of that? And that will swallow up whatever it is. Let's look at... um, you know, and everything that, that he did, it really was as simple as restoring us to a relationship with him, right? We were created for that. We were created to know him. We were created to live close to him. From the very beginning when Adam, when he created Adam, his original purpose was to rule and to reign with him, to, 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 to walk in fellowship with him. God would come and walk with him in the cool of the day. It, that was what we were intended for. And so, so many times we're, you know, you find people that are just searching, trying to fill these voids, right? We have these voids in us and we think, oh, if I'll just get married, then that'll solve this. Or, oh, if I'll just get the job that I really want, then I'll be happy. Or, oh, if I just can, can get out of this situation I'm in and get away from these people, then I'll be happy. But none of those things hold the key to our happiness. You know, the, the key to our happiness is such that even in the midst of all these contrary circumstances, when you hold that key, which is this restored relationship with the Father, you can be happy in the middle of anything. You can have peace and joy in the middle of a storm, in the middle of trials, in the middle of adverse things, because that's the only key. That's the true key to what really will fulfill and satisfy you. It's to know God and to be known by him. And to walk with him and to spend time with him and to draw near to him. That is the only thing that will ever satisfy. To be loved by him. Without him, there's no meaning. He's the center of what we were created for. And every longing in our heart finds its fulfillment in him. No matter what's going on, no matter who's mistreating us or who's trying to make our life. Man, that will fill every void. 
the void of, of, of abandonment, the void of what our parents did, the void of what our, our, our spouse or our children, or, it'll fill every void. You could say it this way, there is nothing that has happened to you that is greater than what happened to Jesus. It'll, it'll, it'll overtake all of that. And so he's, he's, you know, like I said, the Holy Spirit's before, I was talking how his whole magnet pulling, it's come back and be reconciled to God. Come back into relationship. Receive his love. And so I wanted to start with Ephesians 2. And who knows, we may just, this may just be where we, where we stay. Ephesians 2 is such a great um, picture of this. Verse 1, it says, And you he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's where we all were. We were all dead in our mistakes and our failures and our brokenness. Every single member of the human race was born into brokenness, was born into faultiness. The perfection, we were designed for something so much greater, but we were born into this state of brokenness because of what happened with Adam and Eve. When Adam took and he handed his authority over to the enemy of God, sin came into the world, and, you know, brokenness, no longer was the world a reflection of who God is and what his purpose and his plan is. And there's so many times, you know, people get really off track in their doctrine by even this, this belief, and, and you have to even be careful when you say things like, oh, God is in control, or oh, God, you know, if it's meant to be, it will be. Well, is he really? Is he in control of you? Is everything that happens in your life a result of his control? Is he controlling how you respond to others? Is he controlling the choices you make? Is he controlling is he? Is he controlling all of these things? So if he's not, then is he fully in control of everything that happens and all the byproducts of choices that we make that don't comply or go in line with him? You know, that's a major doctrine in the church. In my opinion, it's a doctrine of devils. Because if the enemy can get us to believe that, then there's this no fault, I can't help anything, it's all up to God, I'm just waiting on him to do it, when that's not the case. And so then we're stuck in this place of inactivity and this place of waiting on God to do something that he's not going to do. He's not in control of kids starving. Is that, that's why people get mad, right? People say, oh, I can't serve a God like that. Is God in control of that? Is he in control of child abuse? Is he in control of tragedy and war and, and destruction? Is he in control of all of that? Some people would say yes. Well, yeah, if, it wouldn't have happened if God didn't want it to happen. Really? Was he in control of Adam's decision to, I mean, it's just, you go down that lane, it doesn't even make sense because it says that he wants everybody to be saved, yet not everybody's saved. So God is not in control. And sometimes this, we may realize that, but this can still seep into the way that we approach life. 
Like we're waiting for God to somehow do something about our situation. It's like, well, I'm just waiting until God turns it or until God responds to, until he does something about this or until he heals me or until, and, and we're in this like waiting period with all the responsibility on God. Well, God, I don't understand why you didn't do it yet. This isn't how it works. That's not the world that we live in. When Adam handed that power over to Satan by bowing his knee and disobeying God, he gave him his authority. And, and, it, and God had given Adam a lease of authority. You know, a lease. He had a time frame where he was given to rule and to reign in this world, to, 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 to have dominion, to multiply, to, to do all of that. And, and, and Adam went ahead and he just handed it right over to Satan, who is now, the Bible calls, says he's the, called the God of this world. And so things that function in this world, man, it's under a a system that is not God's system. And heaven does not have that. Heaven will not have war and starvation and and brokenness and all of that. Heaven is the only, uh, is what we have as the prototype of a place where God is in control. When he's fully in control, there's peace. There's, it works. There's a kingdom that uh, it stands forever where, where, where there's, jo- you know, harmony. <laughs> Everybody comes out the winner. I love that about him. It's never one person, this person has to lose for that person to win. Not in God's way, not in his kingdom. And so we, we get really messed up when we start to, if we don't really make a point to counteract that line of thinking. But it says, we, so we were all dead, though. We were born into this place of being dead in trespasses and sins, in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath just as others. So our flesh, it's like our, our spirit, the in, inside part of us is the part that gets reborn. But our flesh, our body, our mind, our emotions, our feelings, all of that has to be uh, trained, has to be renewed by the word of God, has to be, uh, the Bible calls it the renewing of your mind, has to be changed. And that's the part that doesn't happen right away. And so when we live out of our flesh, we're just fulfilling whims, responding to impulses. Oh, I feel like doing this. Oh, I feel like doing this. Oh, I was going to do this, but now I feel like doing this. Man, we live out of our flesh. That's how we live, right? We're just all over the place. One day up, one day down. One day strong, the next day everything's falling apart. I mean, it's just the flesh is worth nothing. It is worthless. And so it says, this is where we were all stuck living out of our flesh. And guess what? We, we see in other passages, uh, it, the Bible makes very clear what happens when you live out of those whims and impulses and desires of your mind that come in and, and feeling like, I feel like I think I'll do this now. I think I won't do this. Oh, I was, you know, I mean, you notice somebody who really lives in the flesh, lives flesh lives, they can't be depended on for anything. 
You know, you just never know what you're going to find. Everything's chaos. That's the result of the flesh, death. And this is where we all once lived. Can anybody relate to that? (laughs) What it's like to live by the flesh. It's awful. It's terrible. It makes you not want to live anymore. But there's a better way. We're not stuck there. God had a solution to that. What was his solution? Well, it came out of his mercy and his love. In the Amplified, it said, but God so rich is he in mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love that he loved us with. Somebody say, God loved me. God loves me with a great, wonderful, intense love. That's how you're loved. And that's why he did what he did for you. Because of this intense love, wonderful, intense love. It says, even when we were dead by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together and in fellowship and in union with Christ. This is one of those things that happened at his death and his resurrection. When Jesus came up out of the grave, it was because he had satisfied the claims of justice on our behalf. And everything that was against you, everything that was uh, for, for all eternity that could ever have gone against your account of judgment, he satisfied by taking your place. He served your penalty, served your sentence. And when he came out of that grave, it was because those demands of justice were satisfied on your behalf. And even though you were dead because of your own mistakes and failures and living out of your flesh, in that moment, God lifted him, you up with him. When he was made alive, it wasn't just him being made alive. It was you being made alive. And he was given the very life that he had. The same life that he made Jesus alive with was brought into your being to make you alive at that, to, in that moment. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, it says in Romans 8.11. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. You were given that same spirit, that same power, resurrection power that withstood the test of hell, that withstood the best of darkness, all the best that Satan and darkness had to offer. The strongest of their power, it overcame it. And you were raised with him, with that same life. For it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And he raised you up together, raised us up together with him, made us sit together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is so much to unpack in those verses. 
If you've never unpacked it, I implore you, take some time, study Ephesians, go in, dig, drill into this. Let it envelop every other part of your life. What was done to Jesus, because see, what Jesus didn't just come and do something just for the sake of showing that he was God. He came and did it on your behalf for you. And in the eyes of God and in the eyes of justice, it was as if you were fulfilling that, as if you had paid the price, which you could never pay, but he did it for you, and so it was marked paid on your account. The judgment that came on Jesus comes on you. Of his being able, even, you know, God spoke from the beginning. The Father spoke from heaven, said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That status with God is now your status. He sees you through the cross. He sees you through Jesus. And he raised you up together, raised us up together with them, made us sit together in the heavenly sphere by virtue of being in Christ Jesus. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor in his kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Jesus. Through the ages to come, he's going to show us the riches of this grace. Man, there's so much to delve into. There's so much to, to mine out of that. His grace and his kindness is vast that we'll be spending the ages to come discovering it, seeing more, experiencing it. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and this salvation is not of yourself, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. This is, what, this is the starting point to victory in our lives. It starts right here. Right here. Not of your own striving. How many times do we strive with problems and try to overcome things? We, it, it, it's not by that. It's by the grace of God as demonstrated here that we can have victory over whatever it is that's coming against us. Not by our own striving. It's a free gift. It's free. Your victory over what in every area of your life is a free gift. You don't have to struggle for it. Oh, that we could get this when it comes. I mean, so many times I know it's easy to say this in a Sunday service, but then you go back to your house on a Monday or Tuesday and it's, and it's struggle. And oh, we, we get into this struggling of our own efforts again, trying to overcome things by our own strength. And it's not by our strength. It's by this right here, by his grace through faith. Free gift. Free gift. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. None of us have bragging rights for any victory in our lives, ever. We don't have bragging rights. It is a freak. It is because not the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself or take glory in it, for we are God's own handiwork, recreated in Christ Jesus that we may do the good works which God predestined and planned beforehand for us, that we should walk in them. 
And so there's also, if you, turn, if you flip over, the other thing that you'll see, as it's a great place to start. If you need a place to start to study the Bible, or if you're, you, you know, the Word of God is the difference maker in being able to grow up and being able to see your life changed. So outside of a healthy diet of the Word on your own, you're not going to see a rapid growth. But if you will start to, to take steps to consume the word, that's what's going to make the difference in our lives. It's what brings deliverance. It's what brings renewal. It's what brings the, the change and the transformation. And so where, where do you start? If you need a place to start, start here in Romans, in Ephesians, in, in these epistles that talk about this, that focus on this, what Jesus did. Start there. And start drilling into that. Start studying it. Start comparing it. Start underlining it. any verse that talks about in Christ or by Christ or through him. And, and start to, to consume that. And that's what's going to make the difference. And so one of the things that you'll also see as you look at these epistles that talk about this is you'll see the phrase put on and put off. So one place it says that is in Romans. Romans chapter 13. It says... Um, verse 11, do this knowing that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's talking about the final deliverance from living in a world that's full of the curse. The curse is in this world. It is. You can't even really ask, well, why do good things, bad things happen to good people? You know, I mean, sure, there could be a thousand reasons, but the bottom line is we live in a world that's full of the curse. This system, everything that, the things that are in motion around us, it's full of the curse. But guess what? First of all, Jesus has defeated it, and there's always hope, and there's always an answer. But even in the midst of that, we're going to have times where we experience things that, man, no, that, that's not God's best, and I'm going to continue to stand for what I know has been given to me. Uh, but, and, and we don't, but we don't have to get all bent over with why. Why is it happening? Why? Bottom line, we live in a world that's full of the curse, right? We've been delivered from the curse, but there comes a day when that final, final enemy will be placed under Jesus' feet, the enemy of death. And, and, and no more will it be as we have been, have we known it to be. Things will change when Jesus, when his return comes. And, and so that's what it's talking about. Our, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. That's all the flesh. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So there's, uh, th th you see this and there's other places. In Colossians, it talks about putting off. If you turn to Colossians chapter 3, might as well go there. So in, in verse 8, 
And now yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, lies, don't lie to one another. You have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of who created him. In verse 12, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness. We just got done talking about humility, long-suffering. So we can learn about all of this, but if we don't put it on, there's an actual putting on that has to be done. I have to put on humility. I have to put on mercy. I have to put on love. In verse 14, above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the word of God, in verse 16, dwell in you richly. And so there's this, what does that mean? This putting off and putting on. Well, it has to start, first of all, with this understanding of what Jesus has done. That you are a new creature, of who you are in him, of your union with him. But I really believe one of the, 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 the reasons that that terminology is used is because, man, we all are going to face times where might not feel joy, might not feel peace. It's in there. Okay, I know it's in there, but man... I feel really angry. I know the love of God is in me, but I just really want to kill this person right now. Or I really want to let them have a piece of my mind. So, so, you know, how do you bridge that gap? The, re- the putting on is the acknowledgement. Philemon 6 says that our faith becomes effective by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus. So Pastor Joe kind of, he he kind of tried to get a jump start on me today by talking about that before the offering, how the speaking, the acknowledging, it starts with the acknowledgement. You probably looked at my notes, didn't you? The (laughs) the acknowledging of, (laughs) he said he'll get me back next week. The acknowledging of every good thing that is in us. So how do you start to put it on? You start to acknowledge. I started just using that terminology in, in recent weeks. I just, I, it blesses me somehow, it does something for me, for me to start my day and say, okay, Father, you said that my faith would become effective by acknowledging, so I'm going to acknowledge some things right now. I acknowledge that I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I acknowledge that I'm your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I acknowledge that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I acknowledge that I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that I'm free because Jesus has made me free. I acknowledge these things. They're all true, but it requires my acknowledgement of it for it to start to be effective in my life and start to be activated. Brother Hagen, he told one person, you know, she, she came in, she, she would call him in the middle of the night. And I think she was just like really struggling. And I think she called him several times in the middle of the night and just like, I don't even feel saved. And he was like, Look, I don't feel saved sometimes, but you have to learn how to start to, to, to activate those things, how to make them effective in your life. So this is one way. When you get up in the morning, you should be acknowledging some things. What are you doing when you acknowledge it? You might feel really down. Your flesh might be feeling like, man, I feel depressed. I feel heavy. I feel angry. I feel like I don't want to see anybody today. But I'm going to start to acknowledge some things. I got to put some things on. 
People say, oh, well, I'm just being real. I'm not going to say something that I don't feel. And I'm not, that's actually very fleshly. That's very, very immature. Very immature. The maturity in God is that we don't, we recognize the difference between our feelings and how we feel in that moment and the reality of what God has said is true. And if I'll start to acknowledge those things, then it's like putting on a coat. And I might not feel any different. Maybe I'm cold and I need to put on a coat because I'm cold. Well, I say, well, I'm not going to be fake. I'm cold. Well, that doesn't make sense. Put on the coat. Put on the coat. And well, I'm still cold. I just put it on. I'm so, wait, put on the coat. Wear the coat. And guess what? Eventually you start to feel warm. That's what happens when you put on these things. You're not being fake. You're putting them on. You're not acting according to what your feelings are. You're acting, I'm going to act according to the word of God. And if I, if I show joy, even though I don't feel it because I'm putting it on, because the word tells me to put it on, because the joy of the Lord is in me, then it's only a matter of time till I'll start to feel it. Just like you wear the coat after a while, you'll get warm. So we have to learn how to mature, to, to grow. Part of growing up is learning how to put these things on when we don't feel them, don't feel like it at all. How do you start? You start with acknowledging. Lord, I acknowledge. I feel like killing them right now, but Lord, the love of God... <laughs> is shed abroad in my heart. I am not what I feel. I am bigger. There's more to me than how I feel in this moment. And you said the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost that is given to me. So I acknowledge that love is there. The patience is there. The kindness is there. The forgiveness is there. I may feel like I haven't forgiven them, but that's not my reality. I have a greater reality than my feelings. I may feel depressed right now, but there's a greater reality than these feelings of depression. And that reality is that there is a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the oil of joy for mourning. That you have turned my mourning into dancing, my sorrow into joy. So I acknowledge that right now. I acknowledge that you're on the inside of me, the oil of joy. Hallelujah. What do you need to acknowledge today? What do you need to put on? Put it on with the word of God. Find these things. Find these scriptures. Put it in your mouth. The greatest thing, the greatest uh, thing that it's easy to drop the ball on is our mouth. It says in James 3 that if you can control your mouth. Maybe we should just look at that real quick. And we can hear this a thousand times and still drop the ball on it. We do realize this, right? <laughs> because I am convicted on a regular. <laughs> no matter how many times I've heard my pastor talk to us about confession, I'll come and I'll sit there and I'll be like, dang. I've been missing it in this area again. And that's okay. We have to be reminded of these things constantly. And in James 3, it says in verse 2, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, 
He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. So how does the stumbling start? With our words. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that may obey, they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Though they were so large and were driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And so the tongue is what gets us into trouble. It's what starts to take us into struggling and stumbling. And if you want to turn it around, it also has to start in your mouth. You've got to open your mouth. We don't feel like it sometimes. I know when we're depressed, if we're feeling depressed, you don't feel like opening your mouth and saying anything. You don't feel, you want to say all the wrong things. You want to vent, but guess what? Venting has never helped anybody. I'm sorry to tell you. You've got to speak your answer. Speak the answer. Speak salvation. I mean, in, in Romans 10, 9, and 10, we talk, it talks about we, we always reference that for salvation. Believe in your heart that God rose Jesus from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is safe. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What do you need salvation in in our lives right now? We've got to start that. We've got to turn that ship with our mouths. Speaking the word of God, speaking what he has said, over-talking the problem, acknowledging every day. There's something you can acknowledge about that God has said in every situation. Lord, I acknowledge. I acknowledge that you are the hope of my countenance, that you are my strength. I acknowledge that you said as I wait on you that, you know, my strength will be renewed, that I'll mount up on wings as eagles are running on that faint. You, you, know, you acknowledge anything that he said. Acknowledge it in the midst of the problem, in the midst of the feelings. Feelings. Those feelings will change when you put on, depending on what you put on. But you can also put on the wrong stuff, right? With your words, you start to put on the wrong stuff. And those feelings, you start yielding to those feelings. Guess what? You're yielding to the flesh. And if you yield to the flesh, what happens? More death, more deteriorate. Things will deteriorate. So, man, we need to not yield to our feelings. <laughs> if our feelings come out of our flesh and our flesh is the, the path to death, then feelings are, are, can be deadly if we allow them to govern our lives. But our feelings can be trained. They will change. They're subject to change. And so it's not like you just have to grit and bear. I know it's hard when our feelings are high. I know it, it's not, not just an easy thing. It's easier said than done when your emotions are high. But by the grace of God, the word has been given to us to help us 
you know, all the verses that talk about, you know, Galatians 5, walk in the spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, in, in Romans 8, 5, if you, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. There might be things that, you're, that feel out of control that the enemy wants you to believe is out of control in your feelings, that you can't help it, you can't help your thoughts, you can't help what, but it's a lie. We've been given authority, and, and he has been defeated. You've been united to Christ, and his victory is your victory, and it doesn't have the power to hold you back any longer. Hey, this is Pastor Joe, and before you go, I want to pray with you to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is your opportunity to be 100% sure that heaven will be your eternal home. It's very simple. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you mean business with God, he means business with you. I want you to pray this very simple but powerful prayer and mean it with all your heart. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. I believe that you are crucified and God raised you from the dead. I believe that you are the Son of God. I repent of all my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. I give you my life. Do something with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God. The Bible says all the angels in heaven are rejoicing because you just prayed that prayer. The next step is to find a good, strong, local church. If you live anywhere near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to join us at Life in Christ every Sunday at 10 a.m. We have some of the best people on planet Earth. We love you, God bless you, and have a wonderful day. listening to the Life in Christ Church podcast. Help us to continue to share the message of faith with those all over the world. Visit licchurch.com forward slash give to partner with us today.